we'll be covering uh, the first 18 verses of Big John. Again, we're using uh, Dr. Sproul's commentary series as the base for this uh, study, as well as other resources, but uh, this is where we're going to get started this morning. So the first uh, 18 verses of John. Let me go ahead and read those verses for us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness to that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man who was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness we have all received for grace and for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is from the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for our time this morning. Uh, Father, we just ask that uh, You be our teacher this morning. We pray that uh, You'll just bless our time together. Uh, Father, we pray that Your Word uh, will change us this morning, and we pray that we will be uh, different tomorrow because we were here today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, these first uh, 18 verses that we just read are commonly known to as the, known as the prologue of John's gospel. Uh, a couple these first uh, couple of verses were uh, really kept uh, as far as the first century church uh, it kept the the Christian intellectuals of that time. It, it, it just kept them extremely extremely busy. They were captured uh, by these verses, these first couple of verses when we talk, and then we're going to look at them closely. Um, they developed what was called the Logos Christology, or the understanding of Christ as the Word, capital W. Uh, we may, of course, as we begin our study here in the Gospel of John, it's necessary we can ask ourselves, well, why does John start this way? Why does he start with this prologue? Why doesn't he start like the other three Gospels? Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who uh, they all give accounts of Jesus' birth. Um, and we don't have that here in John's Gospel. John begins with Jesus as an adult. Uh, the only material that precedes, in this Gospel, the only material that precedes Jesus' ministry is covered here in the first 18 verses. And that's it. Well, Dr. Sproul and others uh, believe that the prologue is here because of John's overall goal uh, with this book. And that is one thing. If, if you've studied the Gospel of John before, you, you, you know this. Um, 
John's overall goal with this book is to make the case for the identity of Jesus Christ. That is the goal of this book. In fact, uh, some have identified John uh, 20, verse uh, 30, chapter 20, verse 31 as the theme for this book. And these are John's words. This is over in John uh, 20, uh, verse 31. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. That's his the theme verse. That is the reason for this gospel. Uh, many of you, if if you've um, met a new believer or someone who's very interested in the gospel for the first time, quite often people will refer those folks to the Gospel of John. Okay, it is the one. If you're doing evangelism, if you're talking to somebody who is not familiar with the Bible, who has a lot of questions, this is often the book that you point them to. Okay, right here because again, this is making the case for the identity of Jesus Christ. So John's goal in this book is to convince the readers of the truth of Christ and who He is, and then uh, that so they in turn may become uh, disciples of Christ. So here in the prologue, with this introduction, this prologue, John is beginning by identifying or describing Jesus' credentials. That is where John is beginning. He's establishing the credentials of Jesus. You know, when you meet uh, someone new, uh, we often uh, would ask questions, uh, introductory questions. What is your name? Uh, What do you do? Where are you from? Well, uh, here in these verses, John is telling us where Jesus is from. Now, in the New Testament, we find many titles for Jesus. Of course, the one most commonly used is Christ. And, of course, we remind that's not his last name. Uh, that is a title of Jesus. Uh, the name Jesus, his name is Jesus. His title is Christ, which means what? It means the Messiah. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Christ. The second most used in the New Testament is Lord. The next one, the next most used in the New Testament is one is Son of Man, which is used 80 times in the New Testament. And it was Jesus' personal favorite when referring to himself. That was the one Jesus used most of the time when referring to himself. The title was the Son of Man. And when we hear the title Son of Man, uh, we may tend to think of this as some sort of an expression of um, humility or a way that Jesus may have identified or seeking to identify with our humanity. But that's not the true meaning of this title. That's That's not where it comes from. When Jesus called Himself the Son of Man to a first century Jew, that was His audience, they would have understand that He was making a reference and a connection back to the Old Testament, back to the book of Daniel. And in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, He spoke of a heavenly being that comes from the very throne room of God. And He's on a mission to judge the world. I read in Daniel 7, verse 13, that I was watching in the night visions, and behold... One like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought Him near before Him. Then to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and His kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So, when Jesus was referring to Himself as the Son of Man, He was telling them, that's what I'm here to do. 
what Daniel prophesied so many years ago. That's what I'm here to do, and that's where I came from. I came from the very throne room of God. Later in John's Gospel, in this own book that we'll get to, Lord willing, in the future, we hear straight from Jesus' own mouth where He came from. In uh, in John uh, 6, verse 38, this is Jesus speaking, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And later, in John 8, uh, verse 58, it says, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And if you remember that uh, situation, those set of circumstances, when Jesus said that, what was their response? Who remembers based on their study of John? Remember when He said that? Do you remember? They, they were going to pick up stones to kill Him when He said that. Because, again, they immediately knew what He was talking about. When He says, before Abraham was, I am. What were they thinking about? They immediately went Old Testament history, right? What did God say to Moses? I am who I am. That's how God identified Himself to Moses. So, in those words, uh, when Jesus said that, what was He telling them? I'm God. That's what He was telling them. And so, we saw the response from the Jews there. They pick up the stones uh, to kill Him. Over uh, in Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 9, verse 6, Jesus told the paralyzed man, if you remember, that his sins were forgiven. And remember, he did that before he healed him, if you remember. He, 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 forgot, he, he said, your, your sins are forgiven, and then he healed him. Well, clearly, uh, those uh, statements were statements of, of, of Jesus' true identity. They were not necessarily statements of humility, whereas we, when we started this, when we talked about the Son of Man, uh, that title did not mean necessarily humility. Uh, it means power. It means who He is, who He really is. And so uh, Jesus was, uh, was, was open about where He had uh, come from. So that's the, kind of the, an overview of the prologue and why we're here. So let's look at a few verses here uh, and then um, we'll keep going. So verse, verse 1, it says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." Well, John here is drawing from familiar verses. We find them over in Genesis 1, where we read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so, John is drawing back to those foundational verses that we have in the beginning. And his point was, in identifying Jesus as the Word, his point was what? Jesus was in the beginning with God. Jesus was God. Jesus is the Word. He was with God. And the word was God. So, uh, in in the in the it's sometimes I read it kind of fast. It sounds like a play on words. It says, "And the word uh, was with God, and the word was God." You know, you might be tempted to ask, "Well, which which one is it? Is he with God or is he is he God?" Well, we know it's it's both, isn't it? It it's both. Um, and of course, this verse as well as others are foundational to establish the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. Because it's, John is clearly telling us Jesus was there with God. He was God. So he's, a, he's his own person, right? But he's also God. So here we go. We hear, uh, we hear the doctrine of the Trinity here in the opening verse of uh, John's Gospel. Verse 3 says that all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Now it sounds, uh, John is just being crystal he wants you to, he wants to be crystal clear here because it's it's almost it's a it's a repetition almost all things were made through him 
And as if that wasn't enough, he says, and then nothing was made that was made without him. So he's, he's showing it on, on, on both sides. He wants you to be very clear that John, John here is identifying Jesus as a member of the Trinity. The one, uh, capital O, the one for whom and by whom and even through whom that all things were made. And so John's saying, the one who I'm about to tell you about is the one in whom there is life. Uh, the one that I want you to believe in. He, he made everything out of nothing. He was there in the very beginning. And He was with God and He was God. And throughout God's, uh, excuse me, John's uh, Gospel, we see two words that we're going to read in verse 4. And those two words, we see it again and again. And those two words are light and life. So in verse 4, John says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, in uh, the Bible, we often see the antonyms of these words used uh, to describe this fallen world. And those two words are what? Death and darkness. Right? The antonyms of life and light. Um, Dr. Sproul commented here about these verses uh, as he, he, he recollected back over his life. And he said, you know, I've looked back over my life many times and I've remembered the most meaningful uh, moments of my life. And clearly, uh, the most meaningful or defining moment in his life was his conversion to Christ. And I think we could all agree, as we look back over our life, that would be the most meaningful or defining moment in our life. And you know, when you think about that, when you think about your conversion, um, and we, we, we talk to other people, and when they think about their conversion, how many times have you heard people say, you know, after the conversation, they'll say something like, I've seen the light. Right? I've seen the light. Right? Um, and I, and you know when you when you hear that I've seen the light those those words there's actually a lot of truth in that when you're referring to a conversion isn't it um, they are if if they're saying it and when some people just say it as a throw off phrase right just I've seen the light about some ordinary things uh, but when when you're referring to your conversion uh, regeneration uh, that statement is closer to the truth than they even might think. Uh, R.C. said, for, because for, for, for me, conversion was the point in my life when truly the lights came on. Right? Would you not agree? Some of, uh, would you not agree that at the moment you were converted, that the lights came on? And what do we mean by that? Well, we mean that we begin to understand things and grasp things that we never did before. Truly, the lights would come on. We would, we would see things uh, in the Gospels. And we would understand things that maybe we never had an understanding for. And it truly is as if we were trying to read the Bible here and it's complete dark and I can't read a word. And it truly is as simple as somebody turning on the light and I can now see it for the first time. And so it's a wonderful uh, analogy here about light and about life. Uh, Dr. Sproul went on to say he saw that there was life in Christ and that he gives life eternal. And that is a promise in the gospel message. And when we think about those antonyms about death and darkness, we see uh, compared to the light of Christ, we see that outside of Christ, a person may have natural life. You may be alive. You may be breathing. You may be flesh and blood. But without Christ, uh, you have no ultimate life. You have only spiritual death. And so you see those comparisons. You see light and life, death and darkness. 
verses uh, 6 through 8. John says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. Well, here we see that John is now introducing John the Baptist. Um, We know that John the Baptist was sent by God as the forerunner, the the herald, so to speak, uh, that would announce the coming of the Messiah. We're told later in verse 15 that John cried out about Jesus, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Later in uh, chapter, or excuse me, in verse twenty-nine, pointing to Jesus, what, did, what those those words that we know uh, all f- uh, too familiar from John the Baptist: "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." So, what was remember John the Baptist's uh, message of repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his his message, and so he was the herald. He was announcing because you remember before John the Baptist, there was four hundred years of silence. No word from God for 400 years. No prophet in the kingdom. It was silence for 400 years. And so John the Baptist emerges on the scene to announce, to announce the way, to pave the way as the herald, to, to, to point everyone towards Christ. Verse, uh, verse 9. Well, back up. In, in those previous verses, uh, John made uh, the point uh, about John the Baptist that he was not the light. All some ask, if you remember, they ask him, "Are you Elijah? Are you who are you?" Uh, but he was. He, he agreed, "No, I am not the one. I am here to send uh, to bear witness to the light." In verse uh, in verse nine, let's continue. That was the true light. Uh, picking up on after verse uh, verse nine. The true light, which gives light to every man, was coming into the world. And these are uh, more of John's prologue. But one thing um, that I thought was very interesting as I was studying these passages here, when, uh, when John refers to Jesus as the true light, okay, the true light, he was not trying to compare the true light with a false light. Okay, not, not trying to compare uh, the two. And, and Calvin helps a lot here. Uh, in his commentary, he says, basically, the distinction is this. Um, the distinction that John is trying to make here is whatever is luminous and whatever has light and in heaven and on earth borrows its splendor from some other object. But Christ is the light shining from itself and by itself and enlightening the whole world by its radiance so that no other source or cause of splendor is anywhere to be found. So you see what Calvin helps here. Calvin is help explaining the true light. Jesus being the true light. Not compared to a false light, but the true light. Because in Him, He is the source of all light. All goodness. And we're, I know we're talking about light and dark, but, but we're talking about um, very high things. But we're talking about Christ as being the source. Okay? It, if anything else has light, it's because they get it from Christ. Okay, if there's any other source of goodness uh, in this world, it's because they get it from from God. He is the source. He is the source of light, and and so uh, Jesus here saying, or John saying that Jesus is that light. He's the source. He's not a receiver of it. He's the source of it. 
the very source of light in the world. That's who's here among us. As we get through uh, the prologue here, we see some words of judgment uh, in verses 10 uh, through 11. And John has these words for us. He says, And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So here we're talking about Jesus, the one who was in the beginning, who was with God, who was with God, who everything that was made was made through him and for him. And that one, the one who is the source of all light, the source of all truth in the world, the one who created everything out of nothing, has actually stepped into the world, has taken on humanity, has has condescended, has come down, and that world did not receive Him. The world that He came into owes everything to Him. There is... That world would not be here if it weren't for Him. Yet what? They did not receive Him. And it says, He came to His own. Okay, He came to His own. Now, some would read that verse and say that He's referring to the whole world. He came to His own and and his own is the whole world. After all, he we've just talked about it in his verses. John just told us he made everything out of out of nothing, right? He made everything. He created all men. Therefore, all are his. Okay. But what we agree with, and what we know, and what we, um, uh, Doctor Sproul and, and others and Calvin and most everyone agrees that this verse is referring to who the Jews. When he says he came to his own. Is referring to the Jews. Jesus came first to the Jews, his chosen people. And those are the ones who did not receive him. Now, obviously, the world did not either, but when he talks about it here, he says he came to his own. He's referring to the Jews, not the whole world. Um, Calvin had a wonderful uh, comment here referring to this uh, as, as the way when Jesus comes into the world. He says, What can be more unreasonable than to draw water from a running stream and never to think of the fountain from which the stream flows? I'll read that one again. What is more reasonable than to draw water from a running stream and to never think of the fountain from which the stream flows? Of course, in that analogy, Jesus being the fountain. He is the source, right? Um, he is the source of light. He is the source of everything. And so, uh, what's unreasonable? To sit and look at everything that's here and enjoy its bounty and never think of the one from which it came. Well, Jesus Himself uh, spoke of rejection uh, in uh, chapter 3, verse 19. And Jesus said, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Now as we read those words from Jesus, we all um, should, should take pause, right? Uh, we should read these words very seriously. Because this verse is telling us that the world will be exposed to the condemnation of God because why? Because people 
will prefer their own darkness rather than be exposed to the light. Well, um, we know why that is because um, because of sin in this fallen world. Because uh, the the darkness hides sin, and Christ, being the source of all light, He shines. And guess what? There's nothing you can do to stop it from shining. And when He shines, it exposes those deeds. It exposes the evil deeds. It exposes the sins of the heart that no one else sees sometimes. And so the natural reaction sometimes would be what? To hide from the light. Right? And that is. That is the natural reaction, isn't it? For all of us. When the light shines, uh, to hide from it. We know that it takes, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, it takes God working, doesn't it? It takes Him working in our lives to... Uh, overcome our natural state, um, to to change our will, that we may run to the light and be uh, absorbed by it. After some serious words, some words where people would be, wow, okay, this is really hard, John offers the message of hope. And so things get better. And that's the purpose of John's Gospel. Uh, verses uh, 12 through 13, he says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And those verses is the good news of the gospel message. We've heard the bad news. Right, we've heard the bad news. The light came into the world. People hid. No, I don't want to. I don't want my deeds to to be exposed. I want to hide from the light. But then we see this message of hope about those who believe. And this is the good news of the gospel message. Now some would take the words in verse 12, uh, the words that said uh, this, and they try to make them stand on their own. And the words, this is, I'll repeat those words. To him he gave the right to become children of God. Now again, some would lift that verse out of context and say, well, based on what I read there, the gospel is offered to all and you can either choose to accept it or reject it. Okay? Now, what do you think about that? Right or wrong? Wrong. Right? Taking a verse out of context uh, would may uh, you may want to make them uh, believe that. But what when we read the verse in the context as it was written, what does it say? Because right after that, in verse 13, what does it say? Referring to those people who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we see here, right in the beginning, John's building out some heavy things, right? He's, he's saying, hey, if if... If you're saved, it's not of your will. It's not on the will of man, it's but of God's. God's choosing. Right right here we see election, uh, predestination, right here in the first words, opening verses of John's Gospel. John's, John's Gospel, excuse me. So it's very careful, right, to know uh, the context in which these verses come from. It's very, very helpful. We need to read all of it together instead of listening you know, just to one, a uh, few snippets. Well, this message of hope, this good news, this 
wonderful news, this absolutely amazing news, right, that John's talking about. Well, this is what John wants them to know. He wants them to believe in Jesus Christ. That's that's John's message here. That's his theme. That's the whole purpose of what um, he is writing this book about. And you know, as we meet, you and I meet people every day throughout our walk, uh, through our work, through our play, or whatever we find ourselves doing for the day, we need to have the same desire, that we want them to know who Jesus Christ is. And uh, quite often, you know, we'll spend those times, well, I'll say it this way, quite often we waste a lot of time dealing with uh, the world, right? We'll talk about everything but God. We'll talk about everything but church, right? Um, we'll talk to them about what? We said it earlier. Who are, what's your name? Where are you from? What do you do? Right? We'll talk about all those other things. We'll, we'll talk about the weather. We'll talk about our sports teams. We'll talk about all these different things, right? Except the one thing that really matters. Where are you with Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Uh, where do you go to church? Do you go to church around here? You know, sometimes those are uh, uncomfortable questions, right? Because some of the answers are like, what? What do you go? Well, I used to. I I used to go to church. I've had quite a few of those conversations in the last couple of months, right? There's been a lot of transition in the world over the last couple of years, you know, after, after COVID. A lot of stuff changed. People's schedules changed, you know. People's routines were upset. You know, or just change, you know, because of a lot of stuff. People have moved. There are people in our county who came from all over, right? Just in our neighborhood. Y'all realize that, right? People are moving here, you know, sight unseen sometimes. And when you meet them, you know, hey, well, hey, have you found a church home yet? You know, that, that, that's an easy in, isn't it? It's, a, it's an easy question, an easy ask. Hey, have you found a, a place to go to church yet? Uh, well, well, no, no. Well, let me tell you about where I go to church. And then the harder part when you see them again and they haven't been, haven't visited. Hey, see them again. Have you found somewhere yet? No. Well, you know, you really. We, we love to have you. We love to. We love to meet you. We love to have you here with us. Um, those are sometimes what what happen, We don't do that. Why? What are some of the reasons why we don't do that? Who wants to offer one? What's some of those reasons why? Anybody got something? It's uncomfortable, I think. Uncomfortable? Maybe we feel it's none of our business. Okay. Good question. Good answer. Anybody else? That's an interesting question, isn't it? That opens up an interesting discussion, doesn't it? Um, it is difficult. Uh, it is uh, sometimes because, I guess maybe for me, I know I've lived here all my life. Uh, most everybody around here that you know, you know, always went to church. You know, it just it was kind of you, you know uh, just assumed, right, that we're in the Bible Belt. Everybody goes to church, but is that really the case anymore? 
That's, that's just not the case. And I think we have uh, wonderful opportunities as we meet new people, as we uh, come in contact with people who maybe gotten the habit. I had a conversation just with a family recently within the last month who, and they, we had to, I won't go into details, but we um, had a pretty honest conversation. I said, well, you know, um, when's the last time were you in church? And it's been, it was before COVID. And he, and he just told me, as soon as I opened the door, he just opened up. He said, you know, it's our fault. He said, we, we just got out of the habit. And we started doing other things on Sundays. Other things took priorities rather than being, you know, with the church. And we had a really good conversation. And he said, the church hadn't gone anywhere. He said, we, we moved. We understand that. Really honest, you know, just an honest kind of hard conversation to have sometimes. But but open. Uh, but open, and, 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 the, and, and again, it's not about our particular church. It's about what? It's about the gospel and the good news of Jesus. It's, you don't have to come here. I'll be the first one to, to tell people, you don't, you don't have to come to my church, but let me tell you, a good, you know, there's, there's some other ones here in the county. You, know, you can go there, you know, but as long as you're committed and you're invested. But I guess back to uh, get us back on track with what John's trying to say here is this is really, really good news that we have that John is telling us about here. And um, he wants disciples. He wants this book to make people disciples of Jesus Christ. In verse uh, 14, uh, John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, when you read that verse, John's saying here, we can take from the first person. He says, And we beheld His glory. Now, he's, he's speaking here, from first-person experience. So what do you think he's talking about? When he writes these words, what do you think is going through John's head? What's he reliving that he's already experienced? Transfiguration. Yes, absolutely. You know, you know that that's going through his mind. Right? Because remember what happens, right? What did, what did Jesus, he took Peter, um, James, and John up on the mountain, right? And then right before him, he was transfigured. His the glory shone through it, burst through his his human body, the shell, the veil that was covering that, because it's inside of him, right? Because he's God, it's there, and so God allowed that glory just to burst through into creation, and He was transfigured right before them. That heavenly glory, just that, that again had been veiled by this human body, just exploded before them. And, and and what does he say? He says, the Word became flesh. He dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. glory. How does he describe it? Glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow. John was there. He, he saw that happen. You can just imagine what was going on in John's heart as he's writing these things. He's, he's an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. He's an eyewitness to the glory of Jesus. He's seen all these things and he wants people to see it for themselves, to see the true light. In, um, in verse 17, it says, For the law was given through Moses, 
but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now when you read that verse, we may be tempted to say, well, we've got Jesus now, we don't need the law. Right? Um, The law was bad, Jesus is good. Um, We don't live by the law, now we live under grace. There's there's some truth in, in some of those things, but that's not what this verse is saying. What is... What was Jesus' own words? He says what? I did not come to abolish the law. I came to do what? I came to fulfill it. I came to fulfill the law. Because, yes, the law was given through Moses. It had to be done. The law had to be given. But Jesus had to fulfill it. Why? Because we could not. None of us could fulfill the law. Not one of us. Did, Did God know that when He gave the law to Moses? Of course He knew that. It was all planned from the beginning. The plan of redemption. The plan of salvation. That the Trinity, the One who is the Word, who was in the beginning with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as they created this plan of salvation, this plan of redemption, it was always the plan. And so the law was given through Moses. It says, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus did not abolish the law. Jesus fulfilled it. Jesus fulfilled it. And then He did what? He offered it. This is the life. This is perfect obedience. And then I'm now offering it to a lost and fallen world that they may uh, know God like I know God and experience salvation because that is the only way to do it. Any, uh, We are done a little bit early. Uh, any questions or any comments? Anything... Anybody want to add to what we have here before us? You may have seen something that that I did not see. You may have a comment that uh, would help the group. Anybody? Okay, we'll read. uh, Let's read verse 18. It's the last one. It says, For no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. And when we think about that, we know that God is Spirit, and God doesn't have a body like you and me. Um, and we know that we cannot approach His throne. We can't see the face of God. But we know that we have seen the Son. He was, he was here. And, and what did Jesus, uh, when He was asked about showing uh, them the Father, remember what His response was? If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. It is a wonderful act. Uh, the condensation of... Uh, of condensation, wrong word. Um, the way Jesus, when he, when he put on human flesh, this wonderful way that He came down and to be with us because of, the, because of God the Father being unapproachable, but what he did, he came down to our level. What and you talk about, full of grace and mercy. He didn't have to do that, but he did it out of love for his people. And you can just think, wow, what would cause the God of the universe, the Creator of all things, to do that? To come down, to condescend, to come down, to put on human flesh, and then declare the good news to the people. Well, it was a love, a love for his people, and a love uh, for the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That motivated him to do that. Any other questions? Any comments?
before we close. Okay, I'll pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time. Father, we thank You for uh, this Gospel. We look forward to uh, looking through this uh, verse by verse over the next uh, several months. And we pray that You'll just bless our time together, Father. And we pray that You'll just add to this as You can do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.